How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Blind. I am your host, Chris Adams. If you're listening to us on iTunes, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, there's a subscribe subscribe button on uh, Podbean as well, so feel free to hit that sucker. Leave us a comment, review. Um, just give me some feedback, man. I, uh, I really enjoy what you guys have been putting out, the comments, the messages, all that good stuff. It, uh... You know, makes this all seem worthwhile. Um, if you are not following along with us on social media, BTBN, Facebook, and Instagram, you can uh, catch out all the catch up with all the uh, the new episodes that are being put out. Sorry, I, my brain is going 100 miles a minute right at the moment. So, uh, yeah, anyway, on social media, you can keep up with us, BTBN. It uh, We do all the giveaways and all that stuff through there. Speaking of giveaways, I got that green call finished, tuned up today. In between getting home from work and waiting to go to the gym, I had about an extra 25 minutes and made all the final adjustments on that call. So I'm putting the list together after this podcast tonight before bed. And uh, I'll give it away tomorrow. Yeah. Um jump on uh, Facebook and go to the BTBN podcast group. Join that sucker. I'll probably start doing some more giveaways in there. And uh, yeah, um, if you want yourself a uh, nice you know, paperweight to put on your desk, you can always hit me up at Unstable Calls. Check out what we got going on. Um, they're not bad from what I've heard. I... Uh, I just uh, another guy out here messing around in in the garage. So uh, if you want yourself a call, feel free to hit me up. I can't guarantee you. Turnaround time is going to be super fast because I'm always swamped with uh, different stuff going on. Anyway, I got another one for you guys today. It has been a packed week. I've had one Monday, took Tuesday off. I got one Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming out. Um, Tonight, I got a a gentleman from Kentucky. He makes a heck of a call. A lot of you guys that are on a call nuts know him. So, without further ado, Mr. Josh Hinton. Josh, what's going on, brother? What's up? How you doing? Dude, I am swimming in sweat out here. It is ridiculous. I hear you. You get that AC going, though. I'm telling you, you got AC in your shop? I would not be out in my shop right now if I did not have AC. Oh, dude, that that big living life, it must be nice. Well, it's probably the best uh, $400 I ever spent in my shop. (laughs) Did you just put it into like a a window unit? That's all I got, man. I actually, uh, whenever I moved to this new house um, is when I got into call making. And... um, I was like, we had a detached garage, and I was trying to figure out um, what I was going to do with it. And um, anyways, I ended up putting a little insulated section on the back. It's a 30, or hold on, let me get this right. It's a 40 by 30 detached garage. And um, I put a 12 by 30 little area on the back that was insulated and i had to go in and put a window in and i was like i'm putting a window unit in for sure so it all worked out in the end 
Dude, both freaking shops I've had have had no windows in the garage. Like, I'd have to cut all the way freaking through. To well, put that's what I had to do, but it's not, you can only mess up once. <laughs> right? I think I would be disowned if I did that. Well, I did mine on the back side. I'm fortunate enough, I have a creek on the back side of my house. And uh, it actually butts up to another neighborhood. But uh, there's a bunch of trees and stuff that block it all. So I was like, well, if I mess up, I can maybe cover it up with something. So I got lucky, man. It worked out. Yeah, man. That's that's freaking good. It, uh, it makes a huge difference. I've said it on past podcasts. If it's a... Uh... If it's not like before nine o'clock in the morning, I'll get up and work from like four thirty to nine in the morning on weekends out in the shop because after that it is too hot. It is, man. It makes my uh, motivation go way down the crapper. That's right. Uh, That's you're right. out in Kentucky, aren't you? Yep, I'm in Kentucky. Um, I'm pretty much as far west Kentucky as you can get. I'm actually about, uh, let's see, five minutes from the Ohio River where you cross over into Illinois. Oh, dang, man. I thought you were uh, more of a, a middle central guy. Well, um, not now, not currently. Uh, the last 10, 12 years or whatever, I've lived in western Kentucky here, far west. Uh, I grew up more central Kentucky, south central, uh, around Bowling Green area, and um went to college at Murray State University and I've stayed here ever since. I went to college in uh, fall of 99 and I've been here since. Dang, man. Well, you moved into the uh, the far better side of the state for waterfowling for sure. You ain't lying. You ain't lying. <laughs> I was uh, looking at where you were from. I was like, man, there's no, got to be no damn waterfowl around there. That's right. That's right. Where I'm originally from, there's not. You know, I grew up I didn't. I didn't duck hunt growing up, man. I, I uh, my dad got me into uh, dove hunting was big where we were from, and uh, rabbit hunting was yeah. big. Yeah, that you and know then, my jam. Yeah, and then of course you know deer hunting. I don't care where you're at in Kentucky, you're gonna kill some big deer. Um, my family actually, I grew up on several hundred acres, uh, a farm that my family had generations before me. And that's where we grew up, and I've killed so many deer. It's just deer hunting is not, not for me. I, I can't go out there and sit in a stand anymore once I compare it to, like, duck hunting or dove hunting or any kind of bird hunting, for that matter. I love bird hunting. And um, so, anyways, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I did not duck hunt in high school or growing up. And it wasn't until I got to college and moved to the western end of the state uh to where i got introduced to duck hunting and um so it's taken off from there yeah that's a very similar man to me it everybody around here deer hunts or turkey hunts and i love turkey hunting but man, me uh, too. growing up and you know dad trying to take you out to the woods and sit you down the deer stand for rifle season and I have way too much ADD for it, and it was <laughs> yeah. it was just never my thing. I don't care. It's like, cool, we can come sit out here for the next 20 days, and I get to pull a trigger once. Like, That's it's, right. it's not for me. And then uh, I was introduced to rabbit hunting with uh, beagles, and that was a lot of freaking fun, man. That is, uh, aside from waterfowling, uh, the first 
the first five or six years that I was in waterfowling, man, as soon as season was over, I was freaking grabbing the dog and we were going to freaking jump rabbits. That's my that's right. That's my passion. Do you guys have uh, around where you're at or where you grew up? Do you guys have the big swamp rabbits? We do not. We just have the uh, the cotton tails. Right. That's all we have too. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Did you grow up hunting with multiple dogs, or did you do like a one dog? Uh, we would have at least two every single time. Yeah. And um, you know the single syllable dog name um, that everybody would do. Um, it was either uh, Beck and Buck, or it seems like Beck and Buck would pass away, and there'd be another Beck and Buck. You know. Right. Uh, it was always the same dog in my eyes growing up, and we just go out, man. It'd be uh, seven or eight or ten of us, and it, mostly my dad's friends and me and uh, a couple other kids. You know, starting at a young age, we walk the line and go down through a pasture or go through a creek bottom or hit some brush piles or whatever it was, and we kind of know our our uh, lane, and we'd kill some we'd kill some rabbits, man. It was good times. That's a- I miss it. I miss it because I hadn't done that. I hadn't done that since I was a kid. And um, I think back, you know, now I got three boys and I think back on the things that made me the man that I am today. And I kind of feel like I'm faltering by not taking them. But it's it's super hard these days to find a place to go and rabbit hunt or any kind of hunting for that matter, unless it's public, you know, and it's it's just tough. It's tough. Yeah, you guys live in a super interesting area for all that public hunting. What I, uh, you know, I grew up, and when I was taken, it was always, you know, going out with multiple dogs. And it's funny you were saying, you know, the single syllable. I had a, a dog. My my lab was uh, Bo, and then the next one I get is going to be uh, Luke. So, you know, you got Bo and Luke Duke. But, uh... <laughs> Which I'm Dude, you're not, you're not, I'm going to stop you real quick. I hate to stop you, but you're not going to believe this. My bow right now, or I got a bow. He's a yellow lab. <laughs> he's uh, he's five. He's five. And we actually took a stray dog for a couple of weeks in the neighborhood because it, he was not a lab. He was just a uh, Jack Terrier, I believe, of some sort. And he had three brothers, and they kept coming, coming around the neighborhood and stopping in by the house and they looked a little rough and skinny and you could tell that they weren't well kept of and and I was talking to the wife about you know what are we going to do with them well they stopped showing up so I thought you know the owner or somebody found them and took care of them well it was a couple months later one of them showed back up and I knew it was one of the brothers he was a little bit bigger but still skinny and kind of mangy looking he had a zip tie tied around his neck holy crap yeah and uh, my son, my oldest son, which he's an animal lover, he was outside, he saw it, he was like, Dad, we gotta do something. And I was like, man, I don't know what to do here. You know, I don't wanna put him in with our dog because I don't know if what he has is gonna be contagious and I don't know what kind of money it's gonna cost to get him uh, healthy. And so we ended up taking him for a couple weeks and we kept him and our kids named him Luke. <laughs> <laughs> that's From Bo and Luke. Yeah, man, that's awesome, dude. I had a female that was Winnie, too. So, you know, just sticking with that whole Dixie theme. <laughs> yeah, man, that's awesome. Heck yeah. Um, but, yeah, we, uh, I had a couple beagles. And what I got into, 
and I really liked was hunting with a single dog and it would just be me and him out there. Sometimes I'd bring, you know, a buddy or something like that along and using him as just a pure junk dog. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, get near a brush pile and, or see, uh, you know, walking a fence line and see a tail bouncing through the weeds and putting them on the line and just sending them. And, uh, man, that was so much fun. And that's what really got me into, that was before I even started waterfowling. And uh, it really gave me that passion for having dogs and stuff like that. So it's a lot of fun, dude. I, f- I freaking love rabbit hunting. It's so much fun. It is. And a lot of the old timers, they say, you know, just like any kind of hunting, they say, oh, the rabbits are not around here anymore, you know, this and that. But I don't care. You know, hunting is not about going out and killing something. It's about taking your kids and getting them out in the wildlife and away from the video games and away from their everyday life and showing them an aspect that they're not used to on the daily. So, but with that said, it's super hard in our area to get a place to even remotely think about killing a rabbit or anything like that on private land, you know? Well, everything out there is super leased up for freaking deer and waterfowl, isn't it? It is, man. Um, Going back on that, as far as deer go, you know, like I said, our family, they own several hundred acres back in central or south central Kentucky. And it was every year my dad would get phone calls from, you know, people from Alabama and Georgia and Texas and Mississippi and Louisiana and Florida. And, you know, the southern states where not that they can't kill deer, but I guess for a long time, Kentucky was known for producing nice deer and uh, so they would get phone calls year to year to year hey look we got on so and so or we went and talked to PVA or whatever it was to and they'd find our land and they're like hey you guys own this much land we want to offer you this to go to come and hunt it and my dad he was a hunter when he was growing up but as I was after I was born he didn't hunt a whole lot he introduced me to some stuff and like I said he we went and rabbit hunted a bunch, but he didn't go and sit in a deer stand by any means after I was born. Uh, but he introduced me to it and showed me the ropes and everything. And he didn't care nothing about deer hunting, but he knew that I cared about it. And he was like, nah, he was like, my son's hunting this, you know, you're not going to come up here and hunt it. Uh, as far as where I'm at now, it, I don't know if it's a lot leased out, but I think it just boils down to the fact that a younger generation or an older generation or whatever, some generation has kind of messed it up for these farmers and they just don't care to lease it out to anyone, you know? And I, I've actually talked to some farmers that they don't have anybody hunting. They'll, they'll have access to a thousand acres plus and nobody's hunting it, but they don't care to let anybody hunt it, whether you pay them or not. So, I don't know where the disconnect is. It's just different from where I grew up because I could I could literally walk out my back door and get on a four-wheeler and drive a half a mile down to another farm and ask them to fish or hunt, and it was no question. Yes, sir, go ahead and do it as long as you pick up your trash. And I would always try to pay back. If I were fishing, I'd bring them some fish. If I was deer hunting, I'd bring them some deer meat, so on and so forth. But... I don't know. It's just different times now. It's yeah. just tough. 
And you know, what you're talking about right there is more like it is around here because we don't have the crazy hunting pressure around here. You know, one of the counties that's close to where I live, like I live two counties away, I think from one of the most productive turkey counties in the country for the longest time in Missouri. It's fallen off really bad a lot here in the last couple years due to like drought and then, uh, you know, floods in the spring and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, any t anytime you get around a place that has a ton of ag land, it seems like more and more they're getting into like corporate farming. So, you know, you drive down the road and you see that like Cargill owns all of these fields or they, yeah. you know, they've leased them out and those ones you do not get on. And it's crazy, man. Yeah, it is. So, which is fortunate. Where I live now, man, there's there's uh, unlimited acres of public land. We've got. I don't know how much you know about the area where I live, but we. I guess it's called the Four Rivers area. I guess we've got the Ohio River, like I mentioned before. We've got the Mississippi River. We've got the Cumberland River and the Tennessee River. And then the Cumberland River is actually dammed up, which creates uh, creates Lake Barkley. And the Tennessee River is dammed up, which creates Kentucky Lake. And between those two lakes, they're right beside each other with, I don't know, splitting less than probably 15 or 20 miles. And that's called Land Between the Lakes. Yeah, that yeah. Goes, yeah, that goes all the way from where I live or where I work actually in Calvert City is Grand Rivers is a town where the canal is and that's where it splits up and it goes all the way down through the state of Kentucky all the way down to the state of Tennessee and Dover and so like you got all of that that's all public land um, as far as duck hunting in our area you've got uh, Ballard WMA which is used to be world-renowned for goose hunting. People would come from all over the world, literally, to, to goose hunt in Ballard. And then uh, we've also got another WMA called Boat Right, which is right next to it. So as far as waterfowl hunting goes, man, we're not we're not left alone. You just have to get out and do the work and find the ducks and get on the X, and you're going to kill some ducks. Well, yeah, and you live, you know, being close to, you know, that, uh, that land between the lakes – fortunate to have that public area around if you were another 30 miles to the west <laughs> where the yeah. freaking mississippi flows through and all that stuff that's a little bit closer i know that that stuff is insane i had a buddy that uh i was stationed with with and used to be my roommate lived in paris and we went yeah. through in december in paris tennessee which is just yeah. at the other end of you and uh dude it's insane out there there's so many birds it's crazy that's actually where I got introduced to waterfowl hunting in that neck of the woods. Um, whenever I came to Murray State, I was uh, introduced to my now wife, and uh, her dad was super big into waterfowl hunting. And he had a, a private hole really close to Paris, Tennessee. It was on the Obine River. And um, that's kind of where I was introduced to waterfowl hunting. And we'd go out there and we'd kill. You know, we probably had. 500 to a thousand wood ducks that was residents that would stay there throughout the year um so the first couple hours we'd kill wood duck and teal and then we'd have about an hour or two lull we'd go cook breakfast in the back of the blind and then uh, about 
9 or 10 o'clock, we'd have that flight of mallards. We'd kill our mallards. And then as soon as we got done, what we did, man, this is before we had kids, we would uh, we'd actually hunt the mallards for an hour or two, and by lunch we'd be leaving and trying to find a golf course somewhere and go play 18 holes. <laughs> <laughs> we did that every single weekend for as long as I can remember until we had kids. And then once we had our first kid, that kind of put a halt to it. But it was fun times. Yeah, man. Those uh, The kiddos have a way of slowing down that freedom for sure. They do slow it down, man, but it's 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 well worth it. Like, my oldest now is 12. He just turned 12 in, uh, in June, and uh, he loves duck hunting. And uh, he's been going with me for the last several years. Uh, my middle son, he's uh, eight, and uh, he's uh, or getting ready to be eight, I guess. He hadn't showed a whole interest in, in, in hunting, but I think that's because I hadn't really taken him out hunting much. Uh, simply because I've been taking my older one, but that time will come. We'll yeah. we'll, we'll do it. Yeah, man. So. That's uh, I got two seven-year-olds and a six-year-old, and yeah. we were on our way home from the gym earlier. And I was like, "All right, I got about twenty minutes after we get home to hurry up and get ready for this podcast." And the girlfriend was like, "Well, who are you interviewing?" And I was like, "Oh, one of my buddies named Josh." And she was like, "Well, are you gonna show me some of his calls, or am I gonna have to listen to the podcast?" I was like, "Okay, hold on." And uh, she saw the Lego one that you had done a while back, and our seven-year-old is madness over Legos. I, both the seven-year-olds are really crazy for Legos. She's like, "Yep, you need to hurry up and make one of those because you only got a couple months." I'm gonna try to take all three of them individually this year just to introduce them before it gets crazy cold but uh yeah man i'm super excited about it it's been the first year that i can really remember that i'm not worried about making big trips and like doing all that nonsense like honestly if i get uh you know two dozen floaters and uh you know just go hunt a little piece of public land somewhere that, that doesn't even matter because normally, you know, we're always going out on trips. I have buddies all over the state of Missouri, and we're always constantly messaging. Well, hey, man, where are we hunting? Okay, we're going up two hours north this time, two hours west. And it's always that scheming of following the birds and trying to do as much as we can. And this year, I think I'm going to take a way more relaxed approach and just kind of go out to the local lake 30, 45 minutes away and take one of the kiddos and, you know, just let them do it until they don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, I don't blame you. That's not a bad thing, man. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes definitely. you gotta take a step back to take a step forward, and uh, if you can introduce it to the kids to where they're comfortable with it, um, that's gonna pay dividends in the future. You know what I mean? Like if you burn them out in the beginning and you go out and you hunt seven hours, you know they're not gonna want to do it anymore. Oh yeah, so, that's crazy, dude. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of my friends that's done that before. It's like I don't understand why my kid don't want to hunt anymore. And I'm like, well, what'd you do? And it's, they tell me the story. I'm like, well, you burn them out on it. You know, it's, you got to understand where they come from. Yeah, no, uh, no freaking seven year old, no matter how fun something is, wants to sit bell to bell. You know, no, no, <laughs> it's crazy. No. no, as a matter of fact, last year I did a. Uh, I've always been. Uh, I've never put in for a lease anywhere or, or paid the money because, like I said, in our neck of the woods, if you put in the work, like, don't get me wrong, you got to put in the work. 
but if you put in the work, you can find the X and you can kill some ducks and you can have a successful season on public land. That's anywhere for that matter, in my opinion. Uh, if you have the means to do it and you have the will to do it, uh, it just depends on kind of where you're at. But so I've never really put in for a lease or paid any kind of money for a lease. But this year, this past year, I did simply because what we do here is a, it's a draw. So like you can go in and so many parties put in for a number or a spot and you may or may not get drawn, but you're also waking up super, super early because the draws are like 4, 4.30, 4.45 in the morning. And so I was waking up my oldest son to go duck hunt 30 minutes away and we'd sit in this draw house for you know 45 minutes and not get drawn and he don't understand it he was like well i don't understand i woke up why are we not hunting i got my camo on i got my gun i'm ready to go let's go and so i kind of tried to uh meet in the middle and so this past year i got a little lease and got in with some friends and he went a couple times and had a good time so it's kind of kind of do a little give and take you know what i mean Oh, yeah, man. And that's where, you know, like I always say on the podcast that, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of birds in my corner of the state, but I'm also very, very fortunate. I have like six lakes within like an hour to an hour and a half drive. And I have some that are really, really good lakes um, for duck hunting. But, like, we have what, you know, what you guys have. We have like four rivers and shallow sage and, and stuff like that that are those draws. And Four Rivers for me is like two hours and 45 minutes away. And luckily they have a big, huge walk-in area that, you know, anybody can hunt. And then they have the pools and stuff like that that you have to draw for. And uh, so that one, it's like even if you don't get drawn, you're still going to be able to go to the walk-in area. And uh, you can beat the crap out of birds in the walk-in area. But like at Shell Osage, it's uh, it's all a draw system. And there's been plenty of times that I've been up there and it's like, well, we didn't get drawn, but we're lucky enough that Truman Lake is only like 35 minutes from there. So it's like, oh, we didn't draw. All right, where are we going? We have an hour and a half till shooting time. You know, <laughs> we got to have a plan B. But I, I try, I'm fortunate to where I live at that I don't have to hunt a draw area at all unless I just really want to. And I feel bad for guys that... Like, I hate saying that I feel bad for them, but guys that live in, like, that edge of Tennessee, that edge of Kentucky, that Arkansas, the Boot Hill in Missouri, because if you're not hunting private land, that's all you have is those freaking draw areas. And uh, like you said, man, it's like if you don't get drawn in, you got to go the freak home. That is true for the most part. Yeah, I would say so. Like, you got in the Boot Hill, Missouri, how far are you guys away from, like, uh, 10-mile... Or does that even ring a bell? Yeah, Are you ten miles. I'm probably three miles from like Cape. Like I'm at oh, the okay. far end. You know where Branson's at? That's kind of where everybody knows. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. like I live like thirty minutes north of Branson, just south of Springfield. All right, yeah. So you're a little bit of ways away, but there's a couple of little spots over there that you can do a draw hunt. And a lot of the, a lot of the guys from West Kentucky, they actually go over there. Ten mile, and there's another one, Goose Island, or. I uh, forgot what it's you called. Got Duck Creek. Um, There's two or three there. Mingo, I think. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't ever go out that way, even though it's I some of either. the best waterfowling in the world. It's yeah. like 
I just can't bring myself to drive three hours for a draw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's probably two hours for us or something like that, you know. And but the advantage of that is there are a lot of guys that go and do that, and it's because um, I feel like the Mississippi Flyway has shifted shifted west over the over the last ten years, even. Uh, but anyways, so a lot of guys go to that side of the state or whatever. Uh, so that opens up some spots for us in West Kentucky, but we don't. I don't go to Ballard too much. Ballard is what they call. Uh, we call it Big Ballard and Little Ballard, and Big Ballard is it, you know you got a you got some uh, guys that come in and do uh, quota hunts, and so they're automatically going to be drawn. And if they're only hunting fifteen spots that morning, you got nine quota hunts. Well, then you got a poor man line of you know, six spots, and you've got 30 parties that's trying to get six spots. Yeah, right. Uh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, like, I'm just not even going to mess with it. And so what I do is i got a group of buddies, you know, everybody's got their own group of buddies that they duck hunt with. Right. And um, i got a group of buddies that's got the means, of, you know, mud motors and stuff like that, and jumping levees if they have to, and they got the means to get to the areas as long as there's backwater on what we call Little Ballard. Um, they find the ducks, and I get in with them, and we go and hunt, and we take my son some, and we take youth every opportunity we get, and, man, we bang the ducks. We kill the ducks. And so, like I said, you just got to put the work in. And I think that's half the problem with so many different hunters is, you know, like especially around here, I'll have guys that be like, oh, there's, you know, we never really do anything. There's no, there's not any birds here. I'm like, well, dude, we kill the crap out of birds. It's yeah, just, man. How much work do you want to put into it? It's going to take you know, some, and you're going to have to have some knowledge from the years of experience and yes. what the weather conditions are like. Like, I have so many hunts from over the years at like different public water areas that I, as soon as we got done with the hunt, and I was like, hey, it's a banger. You know, I looked at the the lake levels. I'm like, okay, anytime I know the water's up this high, it's going to be back in these these trees or back in right. fl- this flooding field, and it's going to have a good chance of being good. Oh, yeah, definitely. I've got so many uh, waypoints, I guess you would say, saved on my phone or whatever from times that we've hunted. I always put a date or Onyx. I use Onyx big time. And... Um, I've got so many spots saved on my phone. It's got a date. It's got a water level. It's got a condition. It's got notes. It's got what we killed, what we didn't kill, where the wind was at. That's where I keep my diary. And um, sometimes it can get you in trouble. Sometimes it's uh, some good advice, you know, from years to years. But um, I always get mad at the guys that go. And they're like, hey, man, we went out after we got done hunting. We decided to go back out, and we scouted a couple spots, and we found 10,000 birds. And I'm like, dude, why did you not tell me you were going to go scout? To me, that's the fun part of hunting, waterfowl. I love I love going out and putting in the work and just shooting the shit, for lack of a better term, with the guys and – uh spending that time and getting to know the guys that you're with and learning about them, learning about their families and doing those kind of things as you're out scouting for birds. You know what I'm saying? 
like oh, that man. that to me is duck hunting i could care less honestly i could care less if i myself kill a kill a bird i would rather someone else i'd rather call a bird in and someone else shoot it or call a bird in and my son shoot it or one of my sons shoot it than me shoot a bird any day of the week well yeah and and so, it's, it's what you're talking about with those trips man that is that's the most fun part it's just blind talk you know the talk from the blind continued in the car and dude we are freaking brutal to each other like if people didn't oh, know yeah. us like we'll bring along a new guy and he'll jump well, in like y'all hate each other don't you do what people think that you hate each other oh yeah you'll you'll bring a new guy who's never hunted with the group before he's like oh dude you guys are pissed off at each other i'm like no that's just the like, way that we are man yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah. We rag yeah. on each other. It's just who's the victim of the day at that point. That's right, man. That's right. <laughs> Dude, it's there was one year that we went up and we did a snow goose hunt. And uh, we were staying up with an outfitter. And uh, we, we got up there early one evening and we were going to hunt the weekend. And, you know, we did what guys do, man. We're having a guy's trip. We're gone for the weekend. So we just, you know... Put away the beer and had a, a hell of a time. Well, I might have overindulged and, nah, <laughs> and fell asleep. Surely not. Oh, this was the second night. So it was the second night we were there. And I overindulged. And I wake up in the morning and there's like freaking 15 snow geese in bed with me. And I was like, <laughs> you son of a... And they're like, oh, check your Facebook real quick. And they've tagged me in a picture of freaking sleeping with snow geese. And I'm That's like, hilarious. you assholes. That's funny. I might have to use that in the future. It was not fun. I woke That's up. That's pretty and funny, like, though. Oh, yeah, you have to wash everything. There's feathers freaking everywhere, but it was hilarious. Oh, yeah. That's that's just half the fun of everything, brother. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I love the, the getting out and being on the road. And luckily, that's what I do for a living right now is I run a, uh, a delivery route, and I get the chance to drive all over freaking arkansas all over missouri i'll go over to kansas and luckily like you said the mississippi flyway you've seen shifting west on your end well i'm more towards the central flyway i'm in between them both but i'm closer to central and ours is shifted due west by about two hours so when i like tomorrow i'm running the kansas line route i'm starting like in joplin and I'm hitting parts of Kansas up to like Pittsburgh. And I ran that all winter long. And there's like, we would have no birds over here in this area. And uh, I would go over there and see, you know, one field would have, you know, 10,000 snows in it. And you'd see a couple thousand ducks, you know, in the next field over. And then there, that whole area is loaded with honkers all the time. And I'm just texting my buddy, and I have buddies who live in Joplin. I'm like, hey, you guys need to go an hour north and start scouting. And they're like, yeah, oh, man. dude, we go out there all the time. Nobody ever has permission. I'm like, dude, we have like seven or eight guys. We can get, we can pull some money together. Like, get up there and go scout. Because I can't yeah. stop. You know, I can't go knock on doors because I'm on a, on a route, and, you know, it's all tracked and stuff. But it's like I really enjoy getting out there. And uh, it's kind of like when you, you go on road trips. And, like, right. I love driving down to SEMO and all those different areas in January and February. February especially, because I know I can't even hunt it. 
but there's so many freaking birds out there. It is insane. Yep. It's crazy. Oh, dude, it's it's a lot of fun. So, you move out there to uh, Western Kentucky, start doing some waterfowling. When did you get into the call side of things? Uh, I'd say, I think, I think it was 2012 is when I started. Um, I know that's when I started making calls and started researching calls and how they were made and things like that. I don't know if I became a business until it may have been 2013, but I always just say 2012. But um, the way it started was um, when I was in high school, man. We had a we had a trade school in high school, and it was it was the trade school for the Tri County region. And so you would have uh, three county schools that would always come to our high school trade work so whether that was fixing cars or learning robotics or welding or drafting or whatever it may be machine shop um it was a good trade school and it still is to this day and um i took four different my dad always told me when i was growing up he said hey look you need to be one of three things you either need to be a lawyer a doctor or an architect that's what my dad told me. Right. And so architecture kind of sparked an interest in me when I was in high school. And so I took a bunch of drafting classes. And by the time I was done with high school, they were making drafting classes for me and me only because I had progressed so far into it to where it was like, what else? Like, I, I need some kind of trade. I'm not interested in this. And so that's how I found Machine Shop. And so I took a machine shop class, I think, when I was a junior or a senior or something like that. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Like, I enjoy this. You know, I've always been a hand on, hands-on type person. And um, so I made a few things in uh, high school, you know, for projects and stuff like that. And it was kind of cool. And learned my way around a lathe and a mill and some other uh, types of machinery and stuff in the machine shop. And so when I went to college at Murray State, the reason why I went to Murray is because I was actually going to Murray State to be a game warden. And um, they had a really good... One of those evil ones. Yeah, but, you know, (laughs) I always had the other side of a game warden. You know, you always go into something like that. uh, You're like, okay, do I really want to be a hard ass or do I want to be a guy that understands the sport and understands what really actually happens in the real world? And how can I float that line and be a good guy on the wrong side? You understand? Oh, yeah, man. Every so, interaction I've ever had with a game warden has been 100% positive. As yeah, long as I you mean, treat them, I don't know. I was raised in a uh, – my dad was a freaking a uh, police officer for 20 years. Grandpa was a police right. officer, Air Force. Like, as long as you treat people the right way and you're professional, yes, sir, no, sir, you know, they, they never bother you. I agree 100%, you know, and so that's kind of my frame of mind when I came to Murray State. You know, my dad was pressuring me to go to Western Kentucky, which was 30 minutes down the road in Bowling Green, and I was like, nah, you know, it's a super big party school. They don't have a big wildlife program. You know, they're in the middle of a city. You know, it just didn't – I wanted to get away, and so I came to Murray, and when I came to Murray, I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to be a game warden or not, and so I ended up getting into the drafting program, um, I took some machine shop classes. I took actually four machine shop classes in Murray. 
at a college level, which was way more advanced than what we did in high school. And so all, what I'm getting at is I always had that knack for seeing something and like, how can I make that on a lathe or a mill or vice versa or both or whatever, you know? And so I guess uh, we were actually, honestly, man, the way it started, uh, we were in 2010, I took a job at an engineering firm and I took a 40% pay cut from what I was doing to go and work for an engineering firm because I knew that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I'm still doing to this day. And so I took this job and I went out hunting one weekend with some friends from back home from central Kentucky, South central. And, uh, they came to Ballard and we drew a spot and we were hunting and it was super cold, man. I'm talking, it was probably like three degrees. Everything was frozen up, uh, with the six inches of ice. We busted ice. We get out there and first light, we had about 12 gray ducks come in and we all shot them right off the bat. Not a single one left. There was four of us. And then we had another flight. There was a lot of lull. We had another flight about an hour later of some mallards. We shot all those mallards. But then it started picking up. And it was like, all right, we're starting to call these mallards. My call sticking. My buddy's call sticking. His buddy's call is sticking. Everybody's call is sticking. And I'm like, everybody's call is sticking. Of course, it's three degrees. I get it. <laughs> right. And so... My buddy said, man, he said, uh, why is these calls sticking? And I said, hell, I don't know. I don't know why they're sticking. I have no idea. Well, that's, that's the first time I legitimately opened up. Cause I, at this point in time, I hadn't been hunting ducks very long at all. Right. And so I opened up the call and I started looking at it and I was like, what's the mechanics behind a duck call? And I was like, at that point in time, I had no clue. And I was like, well, why is it sticking? So I'd wipe the, you know, the saliva off and I'd put it back in and it'd be good. I'd keep it in my pocket, whatever. Every, every trick that everybody's done, I tried pulling that day and we'd always have one sticking. And so that kind of sparked the interest. He was like, man, you have all this background in machining. You could probably make one of these calls pretty easily. And I was like, I don't know. This is a pretty tall task, right? Well, Lo and behold, I go back to work and I start talking to one of my coworkers at the time. He was a mechanical engineer and he's a big duck hunter. And uh, I told him the story. I was like, how'd you do this weekend? Whatever, whatever. He was like, how'd you do? And I told him the story about how many ducks we killed, what was happening at our calls. And he was like, you ever thought about making a call? And I was like, no, not really. And, um, he was like, well, you got machining experience because I had shared some of my past with him. And he was like, buy you a lathe and start making them. And so that's kind of how I started. It was kind of as, as a challenge. And uh, so I bought me an old Harbor Freight lathe for 250 bucks. And uh, like everybody else, got on THO at the time. And, dude, I had that lathe sitting in a box on my uh, workbench in my shop for probably a year before I even opened it. Really? Yeah, man. And uh, that whole year, if I was slow at work, I hope my bosses are not listening to this, <laughs> but if I was slow at work, man, I'd, I'd hop on THO and I'd follow forums and read. And I have a, to this day, you know, THO has been non-existent for a couple years now, but 
to this day in my workbench underneath one of the cabinets, I have uh, three binders full of printouts and uh, pictures and uh, diagrams and stuff like that on, on hints on how to make calls and this and that that I printed out 10 years ago, you know. And uh, every now and then, what's kind of cool is I kind of reference those because you can't go back. I haven't been able to find them. You can't go back to those forms. And so every now and then, if I get in a funk, man, I'll reference those uh, binders. I'll get back in them and I'll be like, all right, let's go back to the roots and try to figure out what's going on here. But that's kind of how I got into call making. And, uh, you know, the first few calls I made, you know, I was a, I'm not going to lie, I was a barrel stuffer, you know, just like a lot of people were. I never sold them. I'd always just make them, just learning my way around a lathe with hand tools. And um, made a couple calls, I hunted them for a little bit, and I was like, well, this is not going to, this is not going to work. You know, this is somebody else's insert. This is not meaning anything. And so I went out and bought a uh, public jig. I, I didn't even buy a flat jig. I wish I would have, but I never <laughs> did. Bought a public jig. And um, started making my own calls, and the first call I made, I still pack it on my lanyard to this day. Dude, that's freaking uh, awesome. But I have made a lot of uh, changes to that call. But to me, it's it's still a double read. I hate double reads. I hate them with a the passion. Um, but this double read, for some reason, it, it it's killed a lot of ducks. And I, I just keep it on my lanyard to remind me that hey this is the first call I made from start to finish with the first insert that I made start to finish and um, I've grown from that um, now I'm a singery guy just like most other guys are and uh, I despise the fact when somebody orders a double read <laughs> I try oh, to talk them away yeah. from it I try to talk them away man as much as I can but there's some guys that's dead set on it, and I'm like, okay. And I always tell them, I'm like, hey, look, I'm, you know, I'm not versed on a double read anymore. I hate tuning them. I hate it. Uh, and I'll tell them up front, hey, look, if you don't like it, that's fine. Take the top read out. It's still a single read, and it's going to sound good. So <laughs> it's going to sound a lot better. <laughs> that's what that's what I always tell them. I'm like, hey, look, if you're not well versed on it, blow it. Get used to it. And if you ever want to get crazy, take that top read out, put the cork back in, or the new cork that I sent with you, and you'll thank me later. And I've had more people call me and say, hey, look, I took your advice. I appreciate it. <laughs> right. It's like spend spend two months and practice on it with that single read. And That's you'll right. be good, man. That's it. Well, I mean, right. obviously you want to keep getting better as you go and keep practicing. But it's like the – the mindset i was the same way man when i first started the first two years that i hunted i was like oh, i can't blow a single read i can't blow a single read and it was like my buddy who i had met a few different guys through hunting and i was the same way man i didn't have anybody mentor me at all i didn't know shit hunting wise my old stepdad had uh he's not my stepdad anymore but he had been hunt duck hunting forever and he had taken me a couple times, and, uh, you know, I just thought that's the way it was done. So we had a couple buddies, and it was after uh, deer season, and it wasn't really cold enough for rabbit season yet. And I was like, well, what the hell else are we going to do? Let's let's try duck hunting. All right, sure, why not? You know, like I have, we have the guns. 
Um, you know, I have decoys. I have some hand-me-down waders. We can make this work. So we went out and we didn't know what we were doing. And then like within two or three years, I was like, dude, my stepdad didn't know shit. Like, (laughs) you know, he was just doing the same way he'd always done. He didn't know how to blow a call. I didn't know how to blow a call. And uh, I had met a few buddies and one of them is still like one of my best friends out there. And he's been freaking duck hunting since he was, I think he said he started when he was three and he's now 40. Yeah, he's now 40. His dad started taking him out pond jumping when he was like three. And uh, he's like, the first time he ever heard me blow a call, he's like, dude, put more air through the call. You're, You're not even like, you're not even putting enough through it. And within a couple of weeks, man, it was like a light switch flipped. And then, you know, it was like three or four years later, I was like, I'm going to start tinkering with calls because I had been collecting them after that. And, uh, you know, it was just guys get so dead set on that freaking double read. Oh, I can't blow a single read. I can't blow a single read. And I'm just like, just try it. Don't give up on it. Yeah, you're going to pick it up and you're not going to know what you're doing. You're not going to know how to make the sound. Watch some videos out there. Figure it out and just keep trying it till you figure it out during the off season. And once yep. you go single read, you'll never go back, you know? No. I mean, I actually went, there was a point in time where when I first got into it, you know, I was making double reads because that's all, that's all I ever bought, right? And so that's kind of how, that's that's the reason why the, the call that I talked about earlier is still on my lanyard and it's a double read because of that fact. But there was actually times where, um, like I went, and, I went and bought a triple read call at one point in time you know and it was like what am i doing here but when i got into call making it was like okay everybody's making single recalls why is that and so it got me interested in learning to blow a single read and i'm not by any means the best but i will tell you this much i can take a single recall from any any of these call makers that we that we see on a daily and I've done it. We can take those calls. You know how it is. You take them out to hunt them, and you're going to kill ducks. You know, once you learn how to blow a single read, you can always advance from that point based on where you're wanting to go. Are you wanting to go? Are you wanting to focus on hunting ducks? Are you wanting to focus on competition calling? Are you wanting to focus on a meat call? Like, what do you want to do? It's just so more. It's so much more versatile and. So when you get these orders that come in and these guys are like, I've had people that are 16 that order a double recall and I've had people that are 60 that order a double recall. And I always ask them, hey, why are you blowing a double read? Like, what is it that you like about a double read? And nine times out of 10, most of them are saying, I like it because it's easier to do a feed call. Well, that's fine. But the way you tune a call on a single read, it could it could be easier to do a feed call than a double read. Yeah. Which also will add more top end or bottom end or hold or middle, mid range, whatever it is. A single read, once you learn how to blow it, is way more versatile than any other call in the market. I agree, man. And it's like you know, you're talking about call sticking and stuff like that. It's like the more reads you're adding, the more chance you're going to have a freaking stick in that sucker because right. it's just another crevice, crevasse, if you want to be British about it, and <laughs> another place for water to build up, you know, and uh, stick together. And 
I don't know. I've had times where people have not been super happy with me. My time is super, super limited, just like everybody else. I I value my time more than anything, and I'll get requests sometimes for calls, and I'm just like, yeah, hey man, I'm not the guy for you. Like, uh, you know, I know what I do, I know what I do well, and uh, I've had times where I've turned down double reads. I'm like, if I can't convince you to do it as a single, I don't want to do it because you know it's just it's it's nothing personal. I you know I I kick them to other guys that I know that make great calls. But it's just like, hey man, I honestly I'm I don't know anything about tuning a double read. You know, like I can sit there and tinker on it and blow it. It takes me three times as long to freaking tune a double read as it does a single. And I'm like, I I'm just not your guy, man. So I'm gonna send you to somebody that I know makes a great call and you'll be very happy with them. And if you ever get to a single read, feel free to hit me up and uh, I'll make it worth your while. But I'm just not your guy. Yeah. Luckily, I've had, um, you know, I haven't had a whole lot of kickback on the double reads. I'll do about five to ten a year, and that's five to ten people that I can't talk into a single read, and I'll do it just because they're dead set on getting a call made. And the way I do it, man, it, it may be different than everybody else, but I will tune it, and I will cut, like I'll cut the slope, and I'll sand it, and I will get it dead set, ringer, on what for me is a single read and once I do that I'll throw another read into it and I'll cut another eighth of an inch off the top read I'll dimple it and I'll you know dog ear it just like I would the single read and but then I gotta say okay now I gotta go back from blowing this as a single read to remembering how to blow a double read and say okay does it sound good and that's where I'll, I'll be like, hey, look, if you're not okay with this, take the top one out, and you can probably blow the single read just like you do a double read, honestly. Well, yeah, because you've had to make it so much easier to blow. And I have a really good buddy. He's one of my best friend's older brother, and uh, I've known him for freaking 20 years. And he he likes to collect my calls, and he likes, to, uh, he likes them in a double just to hunt with. He's not... advanced of a caller so he's one of the few guys that i'll do it for him and uh like you said i'll i'll run it dead set on a single read and then i'll throw that second read in there cut it down a little bit and uh what i've done is it's probably a horrible idea but it's worked so far for me and him being close to me you know i can always just cut him a new read whenever it's no big deal um is i'll take a piece of sandpaper and I'll lay it flat on a table or whatever, and I'll just almost like shaving goose guts or uh, goose reeds, and just run it down a little bit to thin it up to where <laughs> I don't know. I, I've had a lot of luck. I guess it's not like a true double read. It's like a, a read and a freaking three quarter thickness wise. But uh, I've had better uh, luck with that just doing his but it's something it's like he knows exactly what it is I'm like if you don't like it I'll fix it for you but I'm just trying out different things because you're a really good buddy of mine and uh, I'm trying to make something that you can blow kind of one of those things if you don't like it don't mention my name <laughs> <laughs> right right well that's one of those things man I was talking to uh, to um, Joey D'Amico about it and I was like, he had mentioned that he had heard me say that I wish I could have like the first hundred of my calls back. 
and yeah. I'll see them come up every now and then, and I'll I'll message the guy that trades for it or is interested in buying it or who has it right then. And I'm like, hey man, if you if you're not liking that, send it back to me, and I'll give you a big big discount on a new call because that call's six years old, you know. Like man, it's yeah. come a long way since then, and I'd be happy to throw it in my uh, in my collection to keep it yeah. like a keepsake. And also kind of get get it out of rotation, you know? Like, I don't want my name on something that's six years old. Yes, there's been a lot of calls that have come up in conversation over the the years that I've been doing this where kind of that same scenario, like, I will see somebody post something or a friend of mine that posts something, and I'm like, hey, man, not them asking for anything, but me saying, hey, I want that call back. And they're like, no, there's no way I'd get, I get. I'm not giving you this call back. No, you made it for me. Whether they paid for it, whether it was a trade, whether it was a gift, whether whatever. I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. I want that call back. It's going to pay you dividends in the future to get something that I'm making now. And I'll offer it for free. And they're like, no, we're, we're keeping it. And I, so... On one hand, it's like, okay, quit being so hard-headed. On the other hand, I'm like, come on, man. Like, let's make this trade real quick. I'm going to send you something new because you're going to, you're going to, it's going to pay off. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, man. I saw one on uh, one of the Trader Sunday pages, and I had to go back through my Instagram to see how long it had been. And I think it was like somewhere in the 30s. Like, maybe 27. It was older than anything that I have hanging out still. I think I have, like, number 38 still. And, uh, you know, like, the first 10 of them, I think I kept them in my old shop drawer. I don't know. They got lost somewhere in the move. And uh, so I saw this thing come up, and I was like, hey, man, if you want to send that back to me, you know, I'll give you a discount on this one. I was like, that's super old. Really cool that you still have that five years later. And uh, he's like, it's not the oldest one of yours I have. And I was like, I feel like you have a couple of mine. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I still have a couple of yours. And uh, he sent me a picture of it, and it was the third call I'd ever turned. And I was like, you have the oldest living call. I think there's like eight of them after that that got pitched. I was like, you have the oldest living one. If you ever want to get rid of that, let me know. (laughs) That's one thing I wish I would have done when I started out was numbering calls. You know, like, I, I didn't start doing that. And I've got a record of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I have a pretty good idea of how many number of calls I've had, I have out there. But I didn't start numbering calls until probably last year, to be honest. And uh, I just started at number one. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, you know, how should I start numbering calls? You know, you see that kind of stuff hop around on these forums and stuff and Facebook pages and I don't know man I, I I don't put the number on the actual tone board I guess I probably should and I may start but I keep a record of what my number calls are and I have no idea what I'm at I have to go back and look but how how, how far are you on your numbered calls do you keep it you kept a record apparently from that early right uh, well, I take a picture and post every single, well, I've probably posted 99% of them on Instagram through the years. Um, yeah. What I did is I screwed up just like you did. I numbered them when I started, but I numbered them in what I did them in. 
So it was like acrylic gotcha. call number one, hedge call number one. Oh, okay, and I yeah. screwed up doing that. And then I didn't yep. number them for like two years. And I think it was 2017 when I started. I numbered them with the year. So it's like yeah. this year, I think I'm on like 75 of 2020. And then next yeah. year, it'll be 2021, number one or whatever. Oh, okay, yeah. So you number them by year. Yeah, and that's only because I don't truly know the exact account. Well, that's not a bad idea either. Yeah, I'm at, so yeah, it's kind of like I could start over and, because I think I'm right around 450-ish, give or take yeah. 25 either way, but it's yeah. like, I don't want to number them at 450 and, you know, it just makes it a headache, so I just redo it every year. Kind of how I am. I mean, I, I, I usually average probably, I don't know, I'd say probably, uh, I'm less than 100 a year, honestly. Um, and so it's not, a, it's not a lot. It's, it's not, um, I got other stuff going on, man. Yeah. You know, my kids are, in, my kids are in baseball. Um, I got stuff going on and then, you know, I, I guess probably, I'd say probably February or March of last year of 2019, I started getting super, super, super busy and I got, my books got super packed. And I was taking custom orders left and right. People was asking me, uh, make a call for them. And I was like, what? Come out of nowhere. And at that time, I was still, and I'm still learning. Don't get, don't get me wrong. But at that time, I was really learning. Uh, still, seven, seven years later, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You'll be learning uh, 25 years from now. Man, it, you know, you don't, <laughs> you don't really learn until you get a lot of your calls in somebody's hands. You know, that's the way I've always looked at it. And, you know, the first five or six years I've done it, it was mostly for friends. And, you know, I'd send one to another state somewhere, and I always thought that was a cool thing. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm sending a call to Arkansas or whatever. But I had no idea what was really happening. And whenever I got super busy, man, it was like, okay, now I've got I've got 100 guys on my list. And I'm like... How am I going to do this? Why did I not? Why did I not say no? You know, I'm a guy that makes a hundred calls a year, and here I am. I got a hundred hundred guys on my list, and it's already like March or April, you know. And it's like it's super challenging, man. And I'm still working through that list to this day. And I finally send the light at the end of the tunnel to where I've decided that I'm going to do what I want to do and post it for sale and if somebody buys it they buy it if they don't they don't yes sir ernie ross style dude i'm telling you right now i'm i am so close to that i don't have a list in front of me right now but i guarantee you i'm within 25 calls of doing that that means trade calls and customer calls Jeez. i'm within 25 and it took me i closed my books whatever you want to call it uh on call nuts i closed my books in may of 2019 and i had 100 calls and here i am uh july of 2020 and i've got 25 left now with that said i have taken some other orders in between that time and those orders are hey i need a call for my son that's eight years old or i need a call for uh, I need something for a raffle to raise money for so-and-so, or I need a call for 
someone's family, their dad got killed in a car crash, or I need, you know, those th- those yeah. kind of things. Those those one hundred percent of the time, I don't care what it is. I will put at the top of the list one hundred percent of the time, and I always try to be uh, faithful faithful to my customers that have a waiting uh, or that's on my waiting list, and I tell them up front. And trade calls is the same way. You know, there's some trade calls that I've had for 10, 11, 12 months that I haven't made. And I'm trying to get those knocked out as well. So it's been a challenge, man. Man, I, been, I spend like a third of my time uh, on books calls. Yeah. I, I try to turn about a third of them doing whatever the heck I want. Then, you know, trade calls and stuff like that. And I, it's just... So don't get burnt out, you know, like you're talking about. It's kind of just doing whatever I want. And I have very much have that mindset of if if they don't want to buy it, I don't care. I just want to sell them to, uh, to buy more material. <laughs> yep, me and, too. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll auction them off or waffle them off every now and then. Like I just did one tonight. And it's because it was sitting on the shelf for a month. And I'm like, well, I want it to get yep. into somebody, somebody who's news hand somebody yep. news hand so that way you know maybe they'll come back and buy a couple calls later on down the road hey that's right that's exactly what i do man i had i had two or three calls that i could not get rid of for whatever i i, I couldn't understand it i don't know if it was the color scheme or the material or the market or what was going on but i was like you know what i'm gonna throw a free tumbler in with it or something just to get rid of these calls because i was tired of looking at them right yeah <laughs> i don't care about shelf, making man. the money I do not care if I can make a call and I can sell it to somebody and I can buy a blank or two out of it. I'm cool with it. Exactly. For the longest time, man, in like 16 and 17, I was having people like do uh, send me five or six blanks. I'll pick the, you know, pick the one that you want me to make a call out of. I'll keep the other ones. And that's what we'll, we'll use as payment, you know, cause it was just about the material and it was about, uh, just keeping it going, and I've said it on other podcasts. I would turn them for freaking free if I could. If I could afford it, I would do it for free every time. I don't care. Yeah, it's man. my therapy. As long as it's something that you're using your creative juices, that's for me. Oh yeah, like and I, so. I would rather. I'm. I'm pretty sure I speak for 99 percent of the call makers. I would rather a customer holler at me and say, "Hey, look, I want a call made. I don't care what you do. Do your magic, dude." I'm going to put that in front of somebody that sent me a blank. I hate to say it, but I'm going to put that in front of somebody that I know what I want, what they want. Like, if I can fit it in and still be true to the original customer that wants a YCB with uh, ABW, you know, <laughs> that I've made 100 of them. Right. I've done, like, four this month. I'm going to, I'm going to do them side by side. Right. Don't get me wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody understands what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Uh, but my wife actually came out here. She don't come out to the shop a whole lot, and she came out here. She comes out here from time to time, you know, and it's like, hey, what are you up to? And I'm like, oh, just turn the call. And she's like, she'll look over at my shelf and see all my blanks that I have sitting there. And I have a price that I, that I pay for these blanks on the end, so I know what I have in that blank, so I can try to recoup that cost or as much as that costs whenever I sell that to a customer if they request that type of wood or acrylic or whatever. And she was like, oh my God, you paid $40 for that? And I'm like, yeah, I got $40 in that. And she's like, oh my, 
You got a hundred dollars in that? Yeah, got a hundred dollars in that. And here's my goal, Chris. My goal is I'm forty years old. Like I'm not super old, I'm not super young. I haven't been in this game very long, but I've been in it long enough to get me in trouble. <laughs> but my my goal and this is a legit goal of mine, and my goal is to have enough time and R and D research and development and call making at the time when I retire that I can come out here and I will be a respected call maker at that time. Does that make sense? Brother, I hate to tell you, you're already a respected call maker. Well, I don't <laughs> see my way I don't see myself as that because I've got a lot to learn. Uh, but I, I would hope at that time, you know, twenty years from now you know, when I'm 60 years old or 55 or whatever it is, when I decide to hang it up and do my own thing, I want to be like those guys that uh, everybody talks about at Real Foot. And I want to be like those guys that everybody talks about in Louisiana and Arkansas. Like, there's not a whole lot of Kentucky call makers. You know, you've got, you've got some guys, don't get me wrong. You know, Andrew Haddon, uh, You've got, there's a list, there's a small list in Kentucky that make duck calls right now. And my goal is, you know, 20 years from now, I want to be one of those guys that's in that magazine. Hey, look, this is like the Kentucky, this is a top five of Kentucky call makers, you know, whatever it may be, that's all I care about. And it's a small goal for me and it's kind of a retirement plan for me. And so that's why I have, Bukus and bukus and blanks right now because all I'm doing is whatever I make, I put back into it 100%. And that's the best way to look at it, man. You're talking about, you know, having that that goal of being one of the best, you know, a, a very well-respected. Somebody's going to go down in history. When they grab it in 50 years, they're like, holy cow, man. Like, yeah. I can't believe I got one of these suckers. That type of thing. It's, it's a really cool way to uh you know immortalize yourself because people grab a call that butch cut or tuned or yes. something like that it's you know it just has you can go get cnc called all calls all day long but to have that one that you know somebody put their hands on it just is uh that much cooler man yeah we'll never be on the level of butch or uh some of the some of the real foot guys or or done or any of those guys but you know what I'm saying. It's kind of along the same lines, you know. It's like, I want to leave a legacy for my three sons. And all the trade calls that I'm doing now, um, for me, it's for me for now. I ain't going to lie. But at some point in time, it's going to be something for my sons. They're going to look at it and be like, oh, my gosh, you know, this this is a call that Brad Samples or this is a call that Waylon made or this is a call that Chris Adams made or this is a call that so-and-so made they're going to be able to go back and do that research and they're going to see that this guy's been making calls at the time that they received that call. They've been making calls for 20, 30 years. That's valuable to them. Oh yeah. As long as they are in the craft of going out and duck hunting and doing that kind of thing, that's big time. You know, that's a legacy that's left. Not only me, it's, it's all the people that I've met through call making that has contributed to that. And that's why I will never get rid of a trade call. I will never get rid of a trade call. And that's why. 
you know, because I'm going to leave that to my sons and they're going to have something to look at, whether they sell it or burn it or use it or whatever they do. That's up to them. But it's kind of a cool aspect to look at it. And that's one thing that I kind of I kind of wish I would have gotten to call making earlier because going to Real Foot, man, these last few years, you go to Real Foot, you will meet a guy that's 85 years old that's still hand carving a duck call. You know, at 85, or you'll you'll see a 70 year old that's been making duck calls for 40 years. You know, real foot style, and you get to you learn him, and you understand him, and you understand where he came from, and you meet him. Dude, it is unreal what you learn and just making calls, and who you meet, and the friendships you make, and the hunting, the hunting trips you make, and all that kind of stuff. It, it is like another brotherhood. I agree, man. It's the uh, the thing that makes call making so special, brother. It's unreal, man. I was, you know, in college, I was in a fraternity. Uh, I'm a Mason. I'm a Shriner. So I'm parts of, I guess you could say, three different brotherhoods. But really, it's four. You know, you got call making. And to me, in my stage of life, call making brotherhood surpasses all of those things. Like, I've met... I've met lifelong friends that I go on duck hunting trips and I go and they welcome me in their households and their kids and hanging out with their kids and my kids hanging out with their kids. and It's just special, man. It's it's unreal. It's unreal. I agree, brother. We're all just a bunch of, bunch of psychopaths out here. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, brother, I really, really appreciate it, man. It's been so fun and, uh, I'm glad. I'm super sad that baseball is over for you and the kiddos because you sent me that the other day, and I was like, that's just the saddest text message I've ever gotten. <laughs> baseball it, season is it over. It is sad. It is sad. <laughs> but on the flip side, man, we needed a little break. So we got a couple-week break here. We got a couple tryouts coming up. We got a tryout this weekend, and um, we got two more next week, the week after that. So, I mean, it's going to go right back into it. But it is good to have a couple-week break. I agree, brother. Well, I appreciate it, man, and uh, it was a good one, and I'll have to get you back on here during duck season so we can uh, talk about how it's going. Hopefully that list will be down to you doing whatever you want to do. Yeah, man, anytime. Like I said, just hit me up. I appreciate you hitting me up originally on doing this. I enjoyed it, man. It's been a blast. That's awesome, man. Well, I hope you have a great night, brother. You too, sir. All right, man. Take care. All right, see you. All right, bye. All right, guys, that was Mr. Josh Hinton out of Western Kentucky, not cent- not South Central anymore. He's not uh, in the South Central. It's late. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. It's 4.45, or I got up at 4.45, and it's uh, coming up on 10 now, and I get to get up at 4.45 again, so we're going to end it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Subscribe, like, share. See ya.